The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hi guys and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, a show about all things Port Adelaide Footy Club. I'm your host, Macca19, and joining me is co-host, as always, we've got Fishing Rick. Macca, mate, how are you? Good, buddy. Yourself? Bit grumpy. Bit grumpy? Yeah, I am a bit grumpy. I'm a bit angry at the media. I I feel um, it's not footy related, but I get a bit annoyed when they start picking on uh, Nathan Lyon. I reckon he's a good serviceable serviceable bowler, and seeing the paper that he was branded a liability after a poor subcontinent tour, I thought was... A bit harsh and disappointing, but there you go. He holds his own. That's about it. It does hold his. He's, he's very serviceable as an off-spinner, and we've never had many fantastic off-spinners, and he, he's filling in the void. Indeed. That's it. And back on the podcast this week, another moderator. we got Ford Fairlane. Thank you very much. The Falcon is back. back. Well, look, I figured we landed such a big fish this off-season in Patrick Ryder, one of the biggest recruits we've had in years. I called it the biggest recruit since uh, Gavin Wanganine a few weeks ago. Um, so I figured we could use that as inspiration and uh, and I thought we might have a bit of a chat about some of the other big recruits we've had that have been really influential for the Port Adelaide Footy Club over the years. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, let's get straight into it. Uh, might as well start at the top and some of the big names that have really made the Port Adelaide Footy Club what it is today. Jay Nash and uh, Nathan Loney, come on down. <laughs> the Giants. The Giants. Well, Scott Harding. Scott Harding, yes. Well, let's talk about. Uh, let's start at the top, in all seriousness, and talk about um, a couple of the the serious big names that really made Port Adelaide what it is. In Bob McLean, um, who we got from Nord, had a serviceable career for Nord. Uh, crossed over, played 147 games, kicked 414 goals for Port. Was a Premiership player, was a full-time leading goal kicker. But I guess his biggest uh, biggest influence was probably his post-career um, influence on Port, um, where he was uh, secretary for 31 years and then was the uh, chairman of the board for seven. Just the one of the great administrators of Australian football and and certainly at, and at Port Adelaide. His, uh, his reputation as a really tough negotiator was just renowned. Yep. Was he more famous for being off-field? For us, than his playing career in the SANFL. Yeah, I think um, I'd agree with that. Uh, but I mean, he had a, an amazing career, really. When you look at it, over 200 games in total in 15 years at, at uh, two South Australian clubs, and and during the war years, even played three games at St Kilda in 1941. So mm. um, it's probably overshadowed his his playing career, but his administrative career was just so big. And, and so illustrious that in the end that's that's probably become the, the greater contribution but still a, a fantastic career as a player. Absolutely. And, and, and as a cricketer, he represented South he Australia at Sheffield Shield. Indeed, absolutely. And I guess his uh, right-hand man, you could call him, uh, was Foss Williams, who we picked up from West Adelaide. Um, and I guess in the end, you've got to say, has, an, has a single name or a single family had more influence on a footy club in the country? It's hard to argue with it. I can't, I, off the top of my head, I couldn't think of anyone. I mean, really, Foss Williams and, and Port Adelaide, especially post-World War II, and the enormous success Port had is is associated with Foss Williams and 
carried through um, his playing one of his great players in John Cale as a coach who just refined the the Williams mantra to, to fit modern day football and continued on. Well, I think that's the legacy, isn't it? You know, it's it's not what he he just did with his club. It's what he was able to pass on um, post his time at the club. And, and like you pointed out, Ford, his legacy was uh, was John Cale and uh, and then his children. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was three. He had three kids that played with Port, didn't he? That's right. He did. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mark so what? Stephen. Yep. And, uh, I mean, if you think about it, now they talk about coaches in the AFL system and how they turn players or assistant coaches into coaches. I mean, there wasn't that volume back then as there is now, but his influence was uh, pretty significant on the game of football. Absolutely. I mean, you, you just have to look at the stats of not just Foss, but the Williams family overall. Um, you know, he played 151 games as a player, was a two-time best and fairest, but most importantly, he was a six-time premiership captain coach. Then they also coached the club to three premierships um, as well. Um, Anthony played 100 games for the club. Uh, Mark Williams um, was involved in five premierships, four as a player, one as a coach. And, of course, Stephen was also involved in nine premierships, six as a player and three as a coach. So, overall, they had well over 1,300 games um, of football for Port Adelaide Footy Club and 23 premierships. It is a definition of a dynasty, isn't it? The genuine dynasty. It's probably offensive of us not to actually recognise Jenny Williams for her part in the uh, footy club as well, just because she's uh, uh, not a male player. I mean, she's very passionate about the club and has uh, influenced the club in in her uh, special ways as well. Indeed, and I guess it's become a little bit of a, a little bit kosher to, I guess, bag the Williams almost um, in some circles. But there's no denying the impact that they've had for Port Adelaide. If it wasn't for the Williams family, we'd probably be South Adelaide. Big call, Macca. Big yeah. call. Surely no one could be that bad. That's <laughs> uh, a fair call. <laughs> We'll say we, we, we wouldn't have scaled the heights that we did. It was Absolutely. just an, an amazing contribution. Just incredible um, what what he, he brought to the club in the end. And, and to think that he was second choice as coach, that Port actually wanted Jim Dean to be playing coach, but South wouldn't clear him. Hmm. And then Foss applied for the job and, and won it. And, and just the legend was created, started to be created from that point. Well, look at that. See, we, we literally would have been South Adelaide. <laughs> it's got a bit of Ken Hinckley about it, that story, isn't it? It does. It is. The best man yeah. standing. That's it. <laughs> and, of course, one of his uh, most famous players we got over from the Hawthorne Reserves in uh, John Abley, um, who played in all of Foss's premierships in the 50s um, and was also a three-time All-Australian, which was a huge achievement back then. Yeah, I mean, when state football really meant something and um, and was played with enormous passion. And he played 23 state games and he played two, over 200 games for Port Adelaide. And as you said, he played in every, every one of those premierships in the 50s, which was just a, an extraordinary effort and turned out to be an amazing player who sort of just rolled up from um, sort of Hawthorne Reserves one day. No one really it's, talks it's a... about him too much, but... I mean, he's probably the best fullback in South Australian history. He certainly, I think, he's the Port's team of the century. So, mm. it's a, 
Port Adelaide certainly recognised him as that. I mean, there's, there have been some great fullbacks in South Australian football, but he'd, he'd be right up there, certainly. Do you know the connection where how Foss was able to get him over? Like, how they knew each other, or was it just clever recruiting? I think it was uh, Bob McLean actually um, heard about him and knew he was he was uh, coming to South Australia and he was going to move into Glenelg Zone because his brother was um, was living there and I think he also played for Glenelg and and Bob heard that John was coming said get him get him some uh, accommodation at Port Adelaide and we did and he wound up coming to Port instead of Glenelg. So big Bobby. Did it again. Big Bob. <laughs> he's just already, and that That's was why he's a legend. 1950, I think. Amazing. Is it true, Ford, that the rumour that someone spread on Big Footy that you saw all of those games in that era? <laughs> I, I'd say maybe Lockhart Road did, but sadly, no, not me. We, we haven't yet got to recruit that I've seen play. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to throw that one in there. That's okay. I've actually seen you when you're not 100 years old. I'm not. I feel like it sometimes, but and probably look at it occasionally. No, you don't. You're just the wise man of the boards, that's all. That's it. <laughs> well, look, let's uh, start to talk about some players that we might have seen play. Um, and I guess the main one to talk about first, um, go, moving into the 70s, um, was a player by the name of Tim Evans, who was such mm-hmm. an amazing story. He played 59 games for Geelong, um, most of them at centre-half back. Um, he moved to Port Adelaide in 1975. Um, played the 76 grand final at fullback um, and then moved to full forward in 1977 and never looked back and is uh, currently uh, sitting second in the all-time SANFL goal-kicking list with 1,044 goals. Just, it's an incredible story with Tim. I mean, um, I can can tell you the story of him getting shifted to full forward because he was, as he said, he came over as a centre-half back and I remember his first game was against West Adelaide and, and it was quite a, an emotional game because it was Foss Williams' first game as coach of West Adelaide and John Cale's first game as coach of Port Adelaide. And they played at Richmond and Evans was playing at centre-half back and he took something like half a dozen marks in the first quarter and then someone accidentally trod on his hand um, either late in the first quarter or early in the second because uh, his, his influence on the game was so great. It, it could have been Ray Hayes who had gone over to West Adelaide with them. Um, with Foss, um, but Tim was certainly recognised as a, a key defender at that stage. And the story went that John Cale was watching him kicking for goal one day at training. I thought, wow, this guy kicks really straight. I might have to have a look at him up forward. And they played a, um, they used to be the old Datsun Cup in those days. It was a midweek competition, it became, you know, the Escort Cup in later years. And he threw Tim at full forward in one of those games. And I think we, we just lost to Glenelg who were one of the power teams, believe it or not back then. And the funny thing was he didn't actually kick all that straight in that game. He kicked three goals four, but he was really good, good on the lead, read the lead really well, really strong hands. And um, certainly as, as the years went by, his kicking just improved and improved uh, to the point, you know, that he, he was replicating what he was showing at training and, I remember one of his early games up forward, he played alongside Randall Gerlach, in, who was the regular full forward. And I think the yeah. first time they, they used the two-pronged attack, as they called it, then they kicked 16 goals between them. Um, it didn't work really well for too long. And in the end, they 
I think Evans went back into defence, but then in 77 shifted up to full forward during the season, probably about halfway through, and I think wound up kicking nearly 80 goals in about 11 games, including seven in the grand final, even though he was king hit in the second quarter. Just a huge record, 248 games, 1,044 goals. Was the first Port player to kick 100 goals in the season. Was a six-time Ken Farmer medalist. Um, held the record for most goals in the season for a little bit there as well. Was a four-time Premiership player and ended up full forward in the Port Adelaide Footy Club best team. Yeah, amazing uh, an amazing, an amazing career. His, his 1980 season was uh, he kicked 146 goals. He broke Fred Phillips's goal kicking record that had, that stood since 1969, and in the grand final. It broke his thumb in the second quarter and had to go off and Port Adelaide had to um, actually play swapping their rucks at full forward for the whole second half and had this amazingly dominant midfield and but were really Evans conscious and wound up winning that grand final by I think two goals six in the end. And probably known for infamously uh, not winning the 84 grand final with that big um, stoush pre-game with uh, Craig Barr. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, sort of part of legend, isn't it? The, the national anthems playing, and and uh, Barm and, and Evans are sort of throwing haymakers, a bit like the the Wakefield Lynch clash in two thousand and four. Mm. Uh, sort of came to that that Barmy had tried to physically bully Tim during the year, and Tim decided, okay, in a grand final, I'm, he wasn't really the most, you know, really physical player like that, Tim Evans, but he decided, no, he's not going to be stood over. And he was going to make a make a stand himself this time against it, and yeah, it didn't quite work out for us that day. No, that was my first game of footy. It was, that was one of my uh, first game of live football, anyway, and that was one of my lasting memories. Um, a, the depression of losing, and B, um, that brawl. There you go. Well, speaking of brawls, uh, the next player we should probably talk about is uh, Dave Granger, who uh, crossed from St Kilda, didn't play. A lot of games for Port Adelaide Footy Club, but there's probably not many players that had the impact for Port Adelaide that he did um, in more ways than one. Certainly, the the most the player involved in the most controversial incidents, I guess, um, recruit or otherwise, uh, sort of trouble followed Dave around. He did play 103 games. He played in two league premierships. He's at 77 and um, 81, and he played in the 1980 reserves premiership side that that came from about 50 points down at three-quarter time to win the win the grand final. He kicked five goals in that game. But, yeah, certainly, certainly well-remembered for a, a string of on-field incidents um, and that 1982 preliminary final that, that finally um, was his last game in the end, and the yeah, the mayhem that he caused that day. I think it, those all of those incidents tend to overshadow that what a terrific player he was and what a great He's athlete. A fantastic player, guy at you know one eighty seven centimeters and eighty seven kilos who who just dominated that centre half forward position. You know, with sheer willpower and, and cleared out that forward line and really opened it up for a guy, guys like Tim Evans to, to work in some space and made the, the smaller players around him stand tall. And I, I imagine you'll get to this guy as a recruit too, but uh, formed a, quite a partnership with Bomber Clifford for putting putting the, the wind up a few opposition players. Indeed. 
I think he's a bit underestimated, though, isn't he, Ford? Because everyone talks about the uh, physical attributes of his game, but I think even uh, our nemesis, Graham Cordens, uh, used to defend him and, and argued that he was a very skillful and talented football player with taking the thuggery out of it. Oh, amazing, amazing player, really. You know, as, as I said, you know, he's the size of, you know, a, a flanker these days. And even then at 187 centimetres, not particularly tall for a key position player. It's usually around at 191 centimetre or six foot three mark. But spectacularly athletic. Could, he could ruck. He was, he was that, that big a leap on him. And really strong hands. You know, it's like um, Randall Gerlach was re- Gerlach was renowned for the old vice-like grip, and and Granger was another one who just really strong attack at the ball, great mark, great athleticism. You know, as much as anyone, he was responsible for that 1981 premiership mm. by filling that key out of post that really we really needed to get done and freed up again, freed up Evans to to just play as a full forward and and stop Ruckman and and doubling up defenders, tag-teaming him. It's hard to kind of uh, relate him to a modern-day player because, he, as you said, he was very athletic. He had a huge leap on him, could take an, uh, a specky as, as good as anyone, had a massive kick, a huge handball, was lightning quick. Um, it, it's hard to think of a player that uh, he relates to these days. Oh, come on, Macca, that's easy. Sounds like Jasper, doesn't he, really? <laughs> Huh? As Ford said pre uh, pre podcast, he is the same size as Jasper Pinner. When, when he yeah when he went to when he first went to St Kilda, he's the same height and weight as Jasper Pittard, <laughs> a skinny kid from uh, from Bacchus Marsh or originally from, from Nil in Victoria is his birthplace, but playing footy in Bacchus Marsh and and the story went there too that Bob McLean <laughs> that name again was sort of scouting around for recruits and spoke to his uh, guy was a good friend of his, Fred Fanning, who's quite a legendary full forward. I think he kicked um, 18 goals one day for Melbourne in a, a league game. And Fanning was a publican in Bacchus Marsh. And, and Bob sort of said, you got any players out there we might want to have a look at? And Fred said, oh, I got a young lad here called Dave Granger who just had a go at St Kilda and they've let him go. And so Port brought him over and had a look and liked what they saw. And yeah. he, he certainly became one of the legends of the club. Well, look, you mentioned him before, Bomber Clifford. He played 38 games for Collingwood, crossed to Port Adelaide in 1978. He ended up playing 160-odd games, three best and fairest, three premierships. Um, was just a, a magical and, and brute of a footballer. Just a, a terrific player, just a, a real ability to find the ball. Another guy with really good skill level that, that's probably, you know, Largely underrated again because of his reputation as you know sort of that lovable larrikin and and quite a physical player as well for a small bloke. I think he was only five foot ten and probably went you know seventy eight kilos or you know twelve and a half stone in the old. And uh, but a really fit guy that that always sort of gets overlooked. And I remember when he arrived at Port, John Cale couldn't believe his level of fitness. And while Bomber you know enjoyed. He certainly enjoyed uh, the off-field social life a bit. Uh, on-field, he just ran all day and got the footy, and you know he's he's kicked a couple of enormous goals in grand finals that you know I think have increased 20 meters in length over the <laughs> over the years. Yep. But uh, was still some some huge kicks. I think against South in the 79 grand final on the bays in 81. Just big torps. Loved to loved to kick. Didn't handball a lot, bomber. Loved to kick, and just kept getting the footy. I do remember Bomber Clifford being a larrikin, and I do remember him being tough at the bloody body and the ball. 
I wouldn't say he was in the Dave Granger class, but he was a. Um, to me, I, I, it's either him or Stephen Curtis. They were bloody physical, uh, physical players. Yeah, Clifford, Clifford was really physical. I remember him. Um, he KO'd uh, Johnny Platten one day at Elizabeth Oval, and you can imagine the the wrath that brought down on him from the the stands at Elizabeth. And like, uh, he and Dave Granger were sort of playing him on how they were going to get out of there alive after that game. <laughs> But uh, I know Platten actually came back on in that game and and played played quite serviceably by the end when the, the grogginess had worn off. But Port yeah. still won the game, and I think Bomber might have saluted the Elizabeth crowd on his way off as well. He he wasn't uh, that was ever beyond him as well. But uh, just quickly, I probably mentioned Steve Curtis, who who was a bit unlucky that he he landed at Port in '83, sort of during the Russell years, where we we just didn't win anything, and was. Just a fantastic player. I remember him playing. I think it was for East Perth in and seeing him in state games, and and he was uh, this fanatical attack on the ball. And you're right, Rick. He was a, a really physical player, but in a different way to Clifford because he was you know squeaky clean, fair, mm. but just so hard at the ball and and mm. five foot nine, but great hands, really strong mark, really strong nuggety back pocket, and played a lot on ball as well. And uh, yes, he did wear a helmet. And mm. um, he's still a plumber at the Port Adelaide area. Still go. working. Oh, there you go. And, <laughs> he, he sort of reminded me a bit of like um, old Ralphie Sewer, sort of had that sort of same sort of nippy sort of movement around the pack and the ball and get it extracted out and uh, would deliver well. Yeah, one of those guys with low centre of gravity and, and really the old, what we call now really good core strength, very strong. And, you know, one of those players that, Obviously, a physical labouring job during the day, training, and just had a lot of, you know, just sheer physical strength from from his work and, and just continual physical type activity there. It's, mm. a, it's a bit different now to footballers where it's all about you know, what they do in the gym and these guys used to be really strong, play, do really physical work and, and be really strong guys. That, that then came to footy, and he was one of those those sort of players. Strong, great hands. I just remember about five foot nine. What a great mark he was. I mean, it's just scary. But probably would have had a handshake like Daryl Pools. Uh, Russell Johnson's probably the next one to talk about. He was another young one that uh, came over from Collingwood and played eight games for them in 1980. I think he was part of the the uh, Mark Williams move to Collingwood. Would that be correct? In 81, yeah, yeah, we, we was a bit of a Oh, I guess you call it a, a trade, a trade back then. It was like when Russell Ebert went to uh, North Melbourne in 1979 on what on the old lease, as they called it back then. Yep. So he basically, he, he signed a one-year contract with North Melbourne, and and played over there. And Mark Dawson came to Port as part of that that deal. I think Dawson played in the 79 Premiership, and it was a similar thing with when Mark Williams went to. Collingwood and Collingwood sent Russell Johnston over here and back then it was sort of the beginning of of the financial bankruptcy of a lot of those VFL clubs where they just threw money around like confetti and and didn't have it actually have it in the end and so they'd throw players in to sort of reduce the the dollar amount of the player moving across to them and and Mark Williams was quite a quite a an elite recruit at that stage when he went. Jono came over and he was highly rated at Collingwood. Um, just, I think, had Peter Moore ahead of him back then and possibly Len Thompson as well. He he probably struggled early. I think he did even admit that himself. But as he as he uh, adapted to to Sandful Footy, just became you know one of the 
one of the best ruckmen in the competition. And that was in a day, in the era where there were some great ruckmen going around. And, uh, you know, guys like probably getting near the end of his career, but I think Rick Davies was still trundling around then. And um, Peter Carey, of course, uh, he and Jono had a, a number of, of uh, battles in the ruck. And uh, I remember one game where Jono said about, made a comment about, oh, well, I'll, I'll run the old man around. And, and Carey gave him a bath that day. And <laughs> <laughs> I think taught, taught him a lesson in uh, just maybe keeping your gunpowder dry and, and letting your football do the talking. One of our greatest ever captains, in my opinion, was a three-time premiership player. Um, twice as captain, missed out, um, as we all know, in 1988 with the, uh, the Carl Delina incident. But... You know, it was just yes. such an influential player in the middle of the ground and, and just had a fantastic career for Port Adelaide. Yeah, and, and part of that Kale wall where he would just set up a kick behind the play, whether we were pushing, if we'd pushed a team, you know, had the ball well in our forward line and he'd, he'd just drop around the wing somewhere and could mark just about anything that came his way. I think, uh, and just for Rick's benefit, I think we should mention that when he missed that 88 game, but David Hines just played one of the great Ruckman yes. games in that 88 grand final. Hines, he... What a legend. What a, a legend star. he was. He was a great player. He was a, a star. Player, Big game player. And I reckon he was only he was only about 188 or 189 centimetres too, Hines, I reckon. Yeah. I don't reckon he was as tall as Russell Johnson, who was 193. No, no he was, you know, just key position height. Yeah. But just a great. I mean, he's almost the, the Paddy Ryder equivalent back then. That he's Ryder's one ninety seven, which isn't particularly tall for a ruckman now. It's probably you'd call that undersized. And Heinzy was the same, but great athletes. Heinz was a magnificent mm. leap on him and and a really good oh. footballer. And Heinzy probably a bit of a brute. He was a pretty tough man, Heinzy. You, you didn't want to mess with him. And yeah. uh, so he had a real physical, you know. Once beast, he grew that goatee, he was came an he animal. Mean yeah, looking right. mother, that fella. He was. He yeah. was scary looking. Mm. He was a great. But player. I mean, he went over to West Coast and and had a great career at West Coast as and well. And shaved his goatee off, unfortunately. And shaved yeah. his goatee off. That was a bit disappointing. No, he had a great career. Um, a couple of others that had really good careers um, coming over. Um, in the late 80s, uh, were Richard Foster and Paul Rosonico, two players that came across from uh, from Carlton and Collingwood, respectively. Um, they played in numerous premierships um, in those late 80s and 90s. Um, I think Rizzo played in three and, and Foster played in four, but both were a little bit different. Foster was a fantastic utility, could play pretty much anywhere. And Rosonico came over, I think, as a, as a bit of a forward, but ended up playing a, yeah. a, a fantastic career as a back pocket. Yeah, yeah, it really made him. And and Cale had a, a knack of turning those those guys, those really guys who who might have been sort of flaky forwards into really solid defenders. Um, Benny Harris was a centre half forward that he turned to fullback. Delaney Fiacci, I remember George Fiacci in under 19s level kicking ten goals two weeks in a row as a rover, <laughs> and he'd get to the league side and just couldn't couldn't quite crack it and. Well, we were talking about the Williamses earlier, and as I recall, it was in '88 when Anthony was was so tragically killed in that that house accident um, that George came into the side and went into the back pocket because Stephen was so distraught. Of course, he couldn't play, and we were playing Norwood at Norwood, I think it yeah. was, and um, 
and George just played this fantastic game of football and, and basically made the back pocket his own. And Stephen, when Stephen came back into the league side, went into the middle. But yeah, that that was sort of that was the game that that made Fiatchi the back pocket and just became a legend back there with Roger Delaney, the whole Batman and Robin thing. But, but yeah, as you're saying, like a number of guys, Greg Boyd, who was a, a goal kicking half forward, played back pocket under Jack Cale, and um, he did the same with Rosonico. Just uh, was a bit bit of a flaky forward. He, now and again, he'd kick some goals and go. Then other games would do nothing and went down back and just read the ball coming in so well and, and just played with a real bit of cockiness and you know, not arrogance exactly, but real self-confidence about the way he went about it. And of course, is still involved at the but club. I, yeah. I was just about to say, he's still a great servant of the club. And when we had Tim Jennifer on earlier in the year, he was talking about, you know, how Rosonico uh, still loves working and, you know, it's always... Uh, it's not a, to us to talk about financials anyway, but you know, he just does it because he loves doing it and uh, he loves the footy club. It's great It's great to see those stories when uh, players come over from somewhere else and they just embrace the culture and, and we're starting to see that now with a lot of the uh, younger fellas that are playing for the club and they're doing the same thing. Indeed, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Another one that did that was, uh, was probably Brian Lays who played 90 games for Richmond, um, crossed over to Port Adelaide in 1995 and ended up playing four, in, in four premierships for Port Adelaide through uh, 95, 96, 98, 99. He actually left two or three times and then, and came back each time. He left at the end of 95 to become, I think, the Hawthorne Reserves captain um, and came back um, during the pre-season. He left again at the end of 96 and came back for 98. Um, then he had an, another sort of fleeting uh, year in around about 2002 um, at the end of his career. But he was a fantastic centre-half back and... Um, like we said about Dave Granger and, and Stephen Clifford, he had a bit of white line fever and was hard as nails. <laughs> he was. Lee yeah. was just a legend. Uh, there, another uh, Paul Rosonico was a very funny man, and, and Leezy was too off field, just a really uh, entertaining guy. And I think he KO'd Josh Carr, didn't he, in Carey's first game for the, the Power in a trial game against the Magpies? Yeah, sounds about right from memory, yeah. I remember, I remember Mark Williams running down and you know, basically pointing the finger and yelling. And I think Kari had got a bit lippy with him, and Leezy handed out some Leezy justice. <laughs> I could be wrong; it might not have been Brian Leezy. And if you're listening, Brian, and it wasn't you, I apologise because I don't want you after me. <laughs> I mean, he was a but, great you know the, halfback. He was, he was so. And another guy wasn't overly tall, but very strong and strongly built, and really, really cocky sort of guy, you know, he's, he'd happily take the piss out of teammates and, and the opposition, and uh, it's great, great value around the club, yeah. very entertaining, and a, he and a was, player. He was hated by the opposition oh. fans, which meant he must... He, he must have been oh, and I, players I and coaches. Yeah, he must have been good, <laughs> and uh, everyone thought he was dirty, so he must have been a hard player, And but fair. But, you know, me being very fashionable, I always thought that... Uh, Brian Lee's had one of the filthiest haircuts going around. <laughs> the old undercut was fantastic. Oh, and that slick, that slick bloody hair. Oh. How much oil <laughs> put in there, I don't know. But God, God help us all. He, uh, that was pretty filthy, Brian. What a star. Anyone that pisses <laughs> off Phil Carmen as much as he did is, uh, is all right in my book. <laughs> and another player that came over in 95, there was a whole host of players that came over in 95. Uh, uh, Spiro Malakelis was another one. Anthony Darcy won a... Uh, a 
uh, Jack Cody medal in that grand final in 95. But another one that had a huge influence was Robbie West, who um, who played for West Coast and Footscray at AFL level, crossed over in 95, had a huge season that year, won our best and fairest, um, was the favourite for the McGarry medal, didn't end up winning. Um, and he looks set to uh, to go back to higher honours um, for Port Adelaide at AFL level, but tragically um, was involved uh, in a bit of an incident at Victor Harbour and got bashed and uh, and was never the same player after that. No, that, that, yeah, that was just one of the sad. I remember being when I was told you know, it was Robbie West that that had happened when it was. I remember the news broadcast on the radio at the time and and saying uh, you know a football player had been involved and you know we I mean it's echoes of that in another time more recent time isn't there and you you think nothing of it at the time oh that's bad luck and then I remember a mate ringing me up and going oh you heard about the the player and I yeah I heard something's happened to it was Robbie West and I no no surely not and yeah, it was it was the case, and he'd he'd had a fantastic year. He just another one, a bit of a bomber Clifford type, I guess. That you know, really good footballer, got heaps of the footy. Probably probably maybe a bit more athletic than Bomber. Really quick and and tough. And it reminds me a cheap. lot of uh, Mark Murphy in that he's got these short little legs that go a million miles an hour, but just had was yeah. so skillful and so quick. Yeah, yeah, and it just played. A, had a fantastic year for what I think he, he did come third in the McGarry that I year. So. I know, yeah. he, like you said, he was he was favourite and didn't quite get it. I think you know probably not one of the umpires' favourites. He was a pretty tough player. Um, don't never report it, but but certainly made his his phys, his uh, presence felt physically, and I was really looking forward. I mean, he was a guy. He and Leesy, I thought when we went to the AFL, could easily have been in the squad. I thought Leesy was probably just a touch too old I think is, is what got him in the end that he, he just missed out but he could easily have been there and Robbie West would have been right there alongside him I think Robbie would have would have given it a real shake and yeah what happened to Robbie was just just a tragedy a football tragedy and and a personal one because he, he was badly hurt in that incident and young you know testosterone fueled young men and alcohol and sometimes it's just a, a tragic mix Indeed, missed the whole of 96, came back in 97 and, and played about eight or nine games, but, um, you know, just didn't have that sort of zip about him that he did um, in 95, which was uh, which was quite sad. Mm, yeah, it was a terrible, terrible waste. Two other uh, recruits that we had moving a little bit further into the 2000s now, and uh, Ryan O'Connor and Tony Brown came as a duo in, uh, in 2001, um, and quite uh, fantastically won the McGarry medal. Um, both of them did um, that year. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing year for both of them. I remember watching Rhino play quite a few games, and he was, you know, they, they were both terrific players. I mean, Tony Brown was, was you know, a very good player at, at AFL level for St Kilda, yeah. and, um, and and Rhino probably not as well known for at Essendon, certainly a, a good player, but really took to the, I guess, a... Again, what 194 centimetres, so a bit undersized as a ruckman, but uh, in say state, even in state league footy, but just so big and physically strong and and quite and very mobile for, for such a big bloke. Yeah. And yeah, he just caught the umpire's eyes, and uh, as did Tony Brown, and really were really good players. 
Well, of course, uh, <laughs> Rhino didn't. Uh, Rhino didn't stay at the club. He went to North Adelaide after about two or three seasons. But Tony Brown, uh, Tony Brown ended up playing um, a fair bit longer than that and did captain the club. He was uh, one of the best players in the modern era uh, for the Magpies. Yeah, yeah, terrific player. Both or both were, but um, just really, really played some great footy. And to share that McGarry Medal that year was just an amazing. An amazing result. And another one that won a McGarry, uh, Jeremy Clayton, who crossed from North Melbourne um, and had just a fantastic career for Port Adelaide, won four best and fairest, won the McGarry in his first year in 2005. Um, was favourite again in 2006 and just missed out. He was another one that looked like he was going to get um, back um, into the AFL system, but um, severely hurt a kidney, I think it was, and uh, and ended up missing out. Yeah, yeah, it was Rich. Was it Richmond were going to draft him? Yeah, and then he and then he got that yeah, that kidney or, or spleen injury in the in the finals. Received, um, received terrific his McGarry medal um, in a hospital bed. I think it was. That's yes, that's right. Terrific player, you know. Just, I mean, I guess the the, the sample probably wasn't at the the level that I remember it during you know the the eighties and nineties, but. Um, he really was a standout player, even so, um, through that era, and, and just a, a small guy, I guess, uh, but really walked tall on the footy field. Great skill and and really physical player, and and quite turned quite passionately Port Adelaide by the end. I mean, I know there's been some controversy about some of the things he said about power and the Magpies and. There seemed to be that schism between the or within the club at that time that's that's since been repaired by you know certainly started with the work of, of Tim Jennifer and George Fiacci and but he really did have great passion for the club and and you know any other you know other recruit might have just thought oh well you know who cares so what but but he he took at least he he cared enough to have a position and, and take a stand on that and and really did play for the jumper. Go the umbrellas. Clifford's fifth kick. Oh, a towering torpedo, but that's a massive kick. Oh, what a kick! A goal is second. Just above 65 metres. And Port Adelaide moves with 3-5 to the base goal. 